Now, if you got our Easter letter, I hope that you enjoyed that story we had at the very beginning of the letter. Um, and if you didn't get to read our Easter letter or you saw the letter was from the church and it was written signed by me, you might have just said, oh, I'm not reading that. But let me tell you the story that we had in the letter. It was about a woman who looked out of her window and saw a German shepherd shaking the life out of her neighbor's rabbit. Her family did not get along well with these neighbors. They had had run-ins, and so this was going to like be a major disaster. So she grabbed a broom and ran outside and pummeled her dog until it dropped now the extremely dead rabbit in its mouth. She panicked. She did not know what else to do. So she grabbed the lifeless rabbit, took it inside, gave it a bath, blow-dried it to its original fluffiness, combed it until that rabbit was looking good, and then, seeing that the neighbor wasn't home yet, snuck into the neighbor's yard and propped the rabbit up in its cage. Well, an hour later, she heard the neighbor drive into the front yard and the driveway, and then all of a sudden she heard screams. And she came out very innocently and said, well, what's, what's going on? Our rabbit, our rabbit, her neighbor cried. He died two weeks ago. We buried him, and now he's back. I love that story. <laughs> you know, you know um, uh, if, if some of you have recently read uh, John Ortberg's book, um, Who Is This Man? as he talked about Jesus. But, he, but John Ortberg actually makes a great connection about this story in relationship to Jesus' resurrection. He says, people in the ancient world during Jesus' day knew dead rabbits tend to stay dead. They also knew that dead people tend to stay dead. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright notes, there were many messianic movements in the first century. You know, someone saying, come follow me, I'll deliver you from Rome. And in every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. And then Wright says, in not one single case do we ever hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. But those who knew Jesus proclaimed something beyond startling. Beginning in Jerusalem and declared for the last 2,000 years, there's been this central message of good news to the world. Now, the Apostle Paul actually declares it in the following way, and it's found in uh, 1 Corinthians. And... Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and here he um, brings us to what we call the sort of the central message of the Christian church that began at the very roots of it. And uh, let's just read that, that very first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what he writes. He says, um, starting in verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. So he's saying, this is the essence of what we believe. This is the genesis of why the church now exists. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. And, and in a sense now, Paul then now, in a sense, really wants to get this point across that Jesus really rose from the dead because he now goes on to say he was seen by Peter and then by the 12, those being the disciples. 
And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all apostles. And last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. See, this wasn't a figment of imagination. I mean, just imagine again, if all of us had seen someone who had been horribly crucified, shoved into a tomb, and now all of a sudden we met him. We met him, we talked with him. And not just one or two that we might think were hallucinating. No, Paul is saying, this is the genesis of why we now exist. Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And that's why we come on this Easter weekend and we talk about the Good Friday service, which focuses on the cross. And then we come to Easter and say, he's risen. And in the grand Christian tradition, the church calls back, he is risen indeed. You know, as we think about what this wonderful story of Easter is that Jesus rose from the dead, it's interesting how our world around us tries to diminish it. They say, oh, you must mean that, you know, Jesus rose in the sense of his influence continues. No, that's not what we're talking about. Um, Others say, well, you mean that his soul survived death. We all live on in some fuzzy, wuzzy world out there. No, I'm not talking about that. Others are saying, well, maybe you're talking about his resuscitation. I know he was beaten like everything and hung on a cross and spear in his side and put into a tomb, but somehow he managed to crawl out of the tomb. So he just, he revived himself. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about his resurrection. And, and, and let me give you what I call a sort of a high end. And for some of us, maybe it's a bit of a nosebleed, but let's just go for it. Here's, here's a high end description of what a resurrection means. God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of decay, decomposition, and corruption. God rescued Jesus out of the realm of death and transformed his body into a new vehicle for his personality so that he had a new power and was now immortal, never to die again. That is something new that had never happened before and has never yet happened since. Death was arrested, corruption was stopped, and he was given a new resurrected body for his personality. That is what we mean by the resurrection. That is what we declare as Christians on Easter around the world. But now we come and we've got to pause and go, wow, that's the Easter story. Wow. But now here's the question. What difference does it make? There's a lot of people this weekend that are just thankful they got a statutory holiday. You know? Yeah, got another day off. Can work a little, do a little bit of yard work. And they're not thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. So what difference does it make? Does it really matter? I mean, come on, really. Does it really matter in your life? Does it make any difference whether it's true that Jesus of Nazareth actually rose from the dead? I mean, really? You know, I want to strongly suggest, now here's, here's a shock. I'm going to say it does because you're in a church and I'm a Christian pastor. Okay, you shouldn't be surprised by where I'm going with this. Can you imagine? I go, no, it don't matter. <laughs> nah, it don't matter. No, nah. nah, go ahead. Everybody, let's just all go home now. No, no. Of course, I want to strongly suggest to you that it matters absolutely in the most significant sense. 
And here's why. See, I believe as we really dig down and dive deep around the Easter story of Jesus' resurrection, I believe it answers the big questions of life. Now, what are the big questions of life? I'm talking priority one questions. Well, I think we can maybe come up with eight or nine of them, but, but, but I think it includes the following three. Um, can someone find forgiveness and be free from guilt? I mean, we all deal with a guilty conscience. How do we deal with that in our life? How about this one? What is the meaning to life? Now, there's a, a one that has filled philosophical books for, for thousands of years. Or how about this one? A one that's really real. Is there really hope in the face of death? When you are about to die, where is your hope? Now, now here is something we've noticed as we put together this Easter service. Big questions are often heard over and over again in popular music. And so today on this Easter service, we're going to try something creative. We're going to listen to three popular songs performed live by our very talented group of musicians that you see here behind me. And after each song is performed, we're going to consider the big question that song was making music about. And then we're going to listen to Pastor Dave, that's me, speak on how the Easter story of Jesus rising from the dead helps us to respond to that question. So when you and I can start making connections between the big questions and Jesus rising from the dead, we've discovered the hope of Easter. So let's begin with a song called Consequence Free, written by Great Big C, and let's see how it raises the question about guilt and forgiveness. Na, 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 na. Wouldn't it be great if no one ever got offended? Wouldn't it be great to say what's really on my mind? I've always said that all the rules were made for bending. I want to be consequence free, just sing. fun. You know, Great Big Sea Song highlights this truth. We all wish we didn't have to feel guilty. Did you catch their line in the song sung so eloquently by Jeff? I'd like to leave it all behind, but you know it's not that easy. You know, I once heard a moral uh, philosopher say that the word sin doesn't only belong to Christians because he said, if sin means to miss the mark, which is one definition for the word sin, he says, I'm willing to embrace that even though I don't believe in God. He says, I recognize we as human beings, we miss the mark. We do things we don't want to do. In fact, we do things often that can lead to our ruin. And we have to live with the consequences of our choices. We all fall short. You know, the truth is, all of us have a skeleton or two in a dark cupboard at home something we've done or said, at which in our best moments, when we reflect on it, we're deeply ashamed. 
Our conscience also nags us. It torments us, condemns us. You know, we can say that we're just sociologically conditioned to feel bad about certain things, but, but I believe God has put within us that, that moral conscience for us to know, you know, I've, I've, sinned. I've sinned before God and I've sinned before others. Um, you know, the late Anglican theologian and preacher John Stott has accurately said this, nobody is free who is unforgiven. That's worth saying it. Nobody is free who is unforgiven. Instead of being able to look God in the face or to look at one another in the face, we want to run away and hide. And the way we hide often is we just pretend that everything's okay. And we put on a thin veneer. And yet inside we just feel so unworthy. So the big question of life is, can I be forgiven? You know, I, I follow Nicky Gumbel on Twitter. And one of his tweets during the Passion Week was this. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent a financier. If pleasure and entertainer, as it is forgiveness, he sent a savior. It's fascinating when you read about the life of Jesus during his public ministry here on earth. Jesus would often say to people, your sins are forgiven. And in the upper room in the Last Supper, he referred to the communion cup as his blood, which was shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins. He linked our forgiveness, in fact, with his death. He taught that he was going to die, burying our sin and guilt and condemnation in his own innocent person in order that we might be forgiven. And in fact, if you've been here on our Good Friday service, you know that Pastor Carolyn took a, long, a lot of time to help us understand what happened on, on the tree of, uh, at Golgotha. Now, in other words... If, if, if you didn't hear that message, so I just want to give you one very simple illustration of what Jesus did for us. That through his death, he took our guilt, our sin that we have to be held accountable for. And we live in a moral universe that God created that we know that when you do something wrong, somebody has to pay for that wrongness. And Jesus says, look, either you can pay, f pay for it or you can place it on me and I'll pay for it. And on the cross, he took on all the sins of the world and he transferred our wrongdoing Onto himself. And that is what happened. Jesus paid our debt. But now, now here's the question though. Um, when I look at the Easter story, it tells me not only that Jesus paid my debt, but it tells me that God said yes to that payment. Now, here's what I really want you to catch in, in this first thing. Because you can say, oh, isn't it great to know that on the cross, Jesus paid my debt? But, but here's, here's what you have to make the connection with the resurrection. What if Jesus had stayed dead? What if we still were able to go to a tomb with his bones there? What would we say about him paying our debt? We'd say he was a little la-la. We'd say he was a little crazy. He was a lunatic or even worse, he was a liar. That this idea that he was going to be the sacrifice for the world, the absolute full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world, as the scriptures say, well, we just would say, well, that's not true. He's dead. How do... That was just an illusion on his part. But here's the thing. We would never know whether Jesus by his death had made forgiveness available to us if he had remained dead. If he'd never been raised from the dead, we would not know whether his death had been effective. I would, I would be afraid that his death would be considered a failure 
And he would never did accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. But and Paul's very clear about this, actually. If you read on in 1 Corinthians 15, as he talks about Jesus raising from the dead, he says this, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith is futile. Now catch this about the connection with sins now. He says, and we are still in our sins. We are still unforgiven. And those who died have perished. But Paul says, in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And by raising Christ from the dead, God assured us that he approved of what Jesus had done on the cross and that he did not die in vain. See, that would, the resurrection is God's yes to Christ's payment for our sin. That means we, we really can say yes with assurance. Jesus paid it all. And I know it because he's alive now. So I can be forgiven by God. And just as a reminder, remember, it's not good people go to heaven. It's forgiven people now who go to heaven. And the Easter story says, Jesus paid your debt of sin. God accepted that payment. He said yes to it because Jesus rose again. Now, that's the first big question. Can I be forgiven? And how the Easter story speaks to it. But now let's look at the next big question we hear in popular music that centers around what is the meaning of life? And let's listen to this next song called Some Nights by Fun. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. And some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they'd just fall off. But I still wake up. I still see a ghost. Oh, Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for. What do I stand for? What do I stand for most nights? I don't know. Anymore. Oh, 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 The other night you wouldn't believe the dream I had about you and me. I called you up, but we both agree. You didn't listen. It's for the best we kept our distance. It's for the best you didn't listen. It's for the best we kept our distance. Well, that was really good, too. Man, you're saying, hurry up, Dave, make your point, and then we get on to the next song. Okay. Okay, let me make my point. One of the biggest questions of life that we all have to wrestle with is simply this. What is the meaning of life? You know, this song called Some Nights raises the meaning of life question in the chorus. Did you hear it? What do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights, I don't know anymore. And the truth is, I think you have a lot of friends and associates, fellow students, neighbors. If they're really honest, on some nights, they wake up asking the question, well, really, what's it all about anyway? You know, we live in a culture that really promotes a materialistic view of life. And by that, I mean the only thing that is real 
is the material universe around us. That's all that's really real. And if, and if you really buy into what we call the materialistic view of life, it becomes, I think, rather easy to question if there really is a meaning to this thing called life. I mean, scientists tell us that eventually the sun and the stars are all going to burn out. And all matter is just going to spin back into a chaotic void. And, and if that vision of the future is true, that means all the effort of everything we do ultimately, ultimately doesn't matter. You know, I, you know one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. I don't really like the blood and guts. Well, sort of. But the point is, I love that battle at the beginning, right? Where... Um, the actor says in his role as the general, he says, what you do today will echo in eternity. Something like, well, yeah, that means then as I go down and fight those hordes of, of those really nasty people, it's going to matter if, if I don't come home today. It's going to echo in eternity. There's a meaning to it. I think deep in our hearts, we want life to mean something, but a materialistic view tells me that eventually it just all goes away. So what's the meaning of life? What's the point? Is it all meaningless? And so you know what most people are left to do? We're all left to make up our own meanings. We go our own way, and we make up our own meanings. So some get into sports, and some get into money, and some get into family, and some get into yoga, and some get into Zumba, and some get into music, and everybody gets into something, and we all, we all try to have a reason, and then we retire, and then we play golf, or we garden, because it gives them something to do before they become a dust ball. I mean, think about it. It's pretty meaningless. I mean, it's like the King Solomon who wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, when he looked at life, he said, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. But then we come to the Easter story that Jesus rose again. And you know what the Easter story tells me about the meaning of life? That Jesus is the one who gives meaning to life. You know, when I look at the Easter story, you know what it tells me? Now think about this. This person called Jesus as he walked around and he said some really smart things and he did some really incredible things as we read in the Gospels. We can go, wow, isn't that cool? But what sets him apart from every other moral teacher, moral philosopher, great thinker, everyone, is that he rose from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if I put Dr. Phil on this side, and I put Jesus on this side, and I go, okay, Dr. Phil, you give me your little pearls of wisdom. Okay, that's great. But then when Jesus speaks, I don't know about you, but it puts him in a different category. Okay? See, being raised from the dead singles Jesus out in human history. You know, because of the resurrection of Jesus, he's now not simply a voice among many, but rather he is who he claimed to be. He's the visible expression of the invisible God. He is the son of God. He is the word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. He is the light of the world. If we trust in God, as he says in John 14, if you trust in God, trust also in me. It's not the claim of a liar or a lunatic or a legend, but of the living Lord. His resurrection makes him inescapable. And when I listen to Jesus, who rose again, he leads me to understand things about life, about the meaning of life. And the first thing he helps me understand is that life is not simply about me or about you. Now, if you pick up that little booklet that I uh, showed you at the, during the welcome time, 
with the little chocolate eggs in it. And after you eat the chocolate eggs, you've got to read the very first page of that little booklet because it's written by Rick Warren. And this is how he starts this booklet about what on earth am I here for. The first sentence is this. It's not about you. Oh. See, Jesus shows us the meaning and purpose of life starts with God. It's grounded in those relationships. Jesus says the greatest commandments is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not living for yourself, but living for God. The purpose of life, as we continue to listen to Jesus and look at him and know life in him, means learning his ways, which includes service. He says the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. He tells me the meaning of life includes suffering and sacrifice. He tells me the meaning of life includes forgiveness and obedience to the will of God. And Jesus tells me that my life will matter in God's reality and how I live and what I do will echo throughout eternity. And Jesus shows me that this life, in fact, is a dress rehearsal for the next life that will go on and on with chapters yet to be written. So when someone says, what's the meaning of life? I say, look to the resurrected Jesus, because in him, you will find the meaning of life. So now let's move to our next song, our final song. And the last question, as we listen to the song 100 years, let us ask this question as we come to grips with our own mortality. Is there hope in death?
Now, for those who like emo songs, that's an emo song, all right? And if you don't know what emo means, ask my kids, because that's what they call it, okay? Um, <laughs> I think it's emotional. <laughs> um, you know, this haunting song reminds us of one certain reality. We all are going to die. At best, we still only have 100 years to live. It is something I always say at most funerals. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're middle class, upper class, lower middle class. I don't care if you live in a mobile home park. I don't care if you live in the best neighborhood in Greater Moncton. I don't care if you're well-traveled, you're educated, if you're not educated. Guess what? Death is no respecter of persons. We all must cross the Jordan You know, apparently for the songwriter in this song, 15 is still the best time to be alive. There's still time to buy and time to lose and time to choose, and there's still time. That's not very comforting for someone who's now 37 years past that mark. (laughs) You do your own math. But this song raises the question, is there hope in death? Film director Woody Allen has written this. The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. Death is absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. Death becomes the big bully on the block of life. Death is our enemy. Let's not, let's not mince words around here. Death is our enemy. Death destroys hope. And now we go, where do we find hope in the midst of death? Something that is so real and so close to every single one of us right here. Welcome to the common ground of humanity. Well, I want you to look to the Easter story that Jesus rose again. Because the Easter story tells us that God has won and our future is secure. The fact that Jesus rose means we have hope in the face of death. Jesus rising from the grave, actually, the scripture teaches this as Paul unpacks it in in Romans and also here in 1 Corinthians 15, that that really Jesus' um, resurrection was the first fruits, the first expression of God's at work um, restoring the universe, restoring back his created order where sin and death would be defeated. And so we get this wonderful future after death being described for us. There's something now more to this life than just this life. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a confidence that of what the Bible promises, that, that Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of history, not in humility and weakness as in his first coming, but in stupendous power and in utter and sheer magnificence. The second coming of Christ is altogether beyond our wildest dreams and imagination when he comes in power and glory. For when he comes, he's going to bring history to an end. And here's the good news. He's going to raise the dead, and he's going to regenerate the universe, and he's going to make everything new. But please understand, for those of you who just want to make Christ a sort of a good moral influence, and if he really didn't raise from the dead, then the enemy, death, is still reigning the day. 
But again, in this letter that Paul writes about, he says, but Paul makes it clear, if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on to make this point, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. But the good news of Easter is that Christ has been raised and death has been defeated. And that means when, when, when Jesus, in the Gospels, in the, in the book of John, um, in the, he um, went to Mary and Martha and, the, and his bro- the brother um, Lazarus had died. And, and he says to Mary and Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and life and whoever believes in me will never die. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb... He was putting all his being behind what he said. He's the resurrection of life. And even though we may physically die, we will not die. And there is a life that goes on. So my question simply to you on this Easter is what will you do with the empty tomb and risen Jesus? You can't ignore him. His rising from the dead means he is who he claimed to be. And I just want to just give you a very simple response. If you have an outline that was given to you, I want you to follow along on this prayer that we have written. Let me encourage you to, by faith, open your life to the risen Christ. And how do you do that? Well, I just want to simply ask you to open your life, your spirit, to the very spirit of Christ, that he is alive And he wants to encounter us through his Holy Spirit in our life. And if you would just simply quietly say this prayer with me that I'm going to read, this prayer can change your eternity. So let me pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you offer eternal life with our Heavenly Father. I believe I am made right in God's sight by what you've done for us. I know that I'm a sinner and I receive your gift of forgiveness. I turn from my sins and ask that you come into my life by the Holy Spirit. I want to trust, learn, and follow you as my Savior and Lord. In your name, I pray these things. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, sincerely, congratulations. Welcome to God's family. And can I encourage you to tell someone? You can tell me. You can tell a friend. You can tell Pastor Carolyn. But tell someone. Because you're going to now need support as you start your journey with Jesus. In fact, I want to remind you that we're all called to follow Jesus together. That's a good way to describe what church is. Church isn't a building. Church is people following Jesus together. That's church. Now here's the good news. When you decide to follow the risen Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have now new songs to sing of love, joy, and hope. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We have new songs in our hearts. We have new songs because of the hope of Easter. Let's sing. Let's stand together. Those of us who have our hope placed in Christ, let's celebrate. This is Easter. Easter.